Welcome to my history podcast series. My name is Danny Houlihan. Over the last 40 years, I have researched many aspects of Ballybunion's history. One of the most famous man-made iconic developments was that of the Lartigue Model Railway System, which ran from the Stole to Ballybunion from the years of 1888 to 1924. Designed by a Frenchman with many great engineers behind him, coupled with the support of a local landlord and a promoting parish priest. This episode in Ballybunion's history went down into the pages of international press and folklore, which shaped the history that is of the railway system and the people that ran it, operated it, and the people along the line that had to put up with it. This is truly a unique history. This research I have compiled to date is from a small book I published many years ago, entitled Ballybunion and its Railway History. During the course of my research, I have consulted Ireland survey maps from 1919 and others, pictures of the Lartigue from the Lawrence Collection, data and information from various railway societies and magazines, the Strand Magazine in 1888 and others. It should be noted that there are many books out there in the public domain and are well worth a look with additional information for technical specifications and other data. This episode relates a part of Ballybunion's history that I have researched to date and by no means is the history finished. Origins and history of the Ballybunion Listowel Mono Railway. In 1886, a demonstration line was set up in London, near Victoria Street, in a site now occupied by Westminster Cathedral. On display were lines and turntables, conceived by Charles Artigue and Anatole Mallet, the great locomotive designer, who also put his hallmark on the project. In 1894, a Lartigue line electrically operated and was opened from Fort to Penisier in central France. Lartigue lines were also operating in the Ria mines near St. Petersburg in Russia, in Peru and Guatemala. It should be noted that in Ballybunion, during the years of 1883 and 1884, the local parish priest, Father Mortimer O'Connor, was lobbying the local representatives in the Listole Rocky Connor Barney for a light tramway to link the emergent seaside town of Ballybunion with the market town of Listole. George Hewson, landlord of Innesmore and land occupier of Ballybunion, clearly saw this as an opportunity to enhance his investment. Linking the landlord with the monorail are historical diaries, which have related that the local landlord, George Hewson of Innesmore, was in London at that time. These diaries relate that there was an agricultural exhibition in progress where George Hewson had some of his dairy maids from the dairy in Ballybunion and produce on display. There he met Lartigue and convinced Lartigue to bring his monorail project to Ballybunion. This set the scene for one of the world's most famous monorails. All the lobbying was successful. On the 2nd of April, 1886, a parliamentary bill in front of the House of Commons in London passed its second reading. The royal assent was granted on April 16, 1886. The Listole and Ballybunion Railway Company was incorporated on that day. The sum of money allocated by the Bill of Parliament was £33,000. The chairman was the Right Honourable Earl of Devon and on the 6th of June 1887 
a prospectus was published on the line. The dream of the Lartigue had been realised, and in the fall of the year of 1887, work commenced on the permanent way between Listowel and Ballybunion. The monorail would go down into the pages of history as the first monorail in commercial use in the British Isles. The line ran nine miles from Listowel to Ballybunion, stopping at another station to be built at Liselton. The land was acquired along the route from local farmers and landlords who cooperated with the Listowel and Ballybunion Railway Company. The railway company finished the works well within the money allocated. The original locomotive from the early exhibition in London was used to construct the permanent way. This small locomotive weighed two and a half tonnes and had a top speed of six miles an hour. It was affectionately known in the Ballybunnan area as the Coffee Pot, LRC Limited Mallet's Patent Locomotive No. 1. This small locomotive was used to complete the line and was left in a shed in Listowel for many years until it was sold to a man in Tarbert around the 1900s. During the 1990s, my late father, Sean Hoolhan, and I managed to find out where the locomotive ended up in Glen County Limerick, but we were too late as the boiler was cut up by a grinder and lost forever. From the old historical data we read that in the year of 1887, the Hunslet locomotive builders had received orders from the Listowel and Ballybunnan Railway Company to build three 0-3-0 tender engines which would be the power driver of the famous Lartigue monorail. Goods and passenger coaches were constructed by Messrs. Achille Legrand of Mons, Belgium. 21 vehicles in all, unquote. Overbridges were constructed at Ahafona and on the Guttenskeha Road, only one of which is still in existence today. A footbridge at the rear of O'Connor's Bar, Kilcoolies, was constructed with timber to facilitate passengers. Turntables were constructed at Hafona and at several points adjacent to the station in Ballybunion. The first station house was constructed with corrugated iron and was built quickly, as well as other ancillary sheds. In 1888, the Lartigue line was completed. Historical data from the period, quote, The official date of the opening was set for the 29th of February of that year. It was subject to various modifications and health and safety issues, unquote. The first train on the line carried ballast from Ballybunnan to Listowel and Listowel to Ballybunnan on the 28th of February 1888. The day had finally arrived and the dignitaries from all over the country, including the British Isles, converged on the platform of Listowel Railway Station. Shortly after 12 noon, amidst the glamour and ceremony, the first Lartigue monorail pulled by Hunslet engines powered out of Listowel Station on its epic nine-mile journey to the famous seaside town of Ballybunnan. Its purpose was to link one of the country's most scenic resorts to the market town of Listowel. Also, it benefited the local landlord. The journey took 35 minutes, with a total passenger number of over 100, it has been stated. The famous journey of the Lartigue was a dream come true for its French railway engineer, 52-year-old Charles Lartigue, and his fellow engineer, Anatole Mallet. Historical sources have stated that passengers complained about the loud noise from the wheels directly behind them. This complaint was uh, played on by Burr, who insisted that the noise was due to the newness of the wheels and that this would abate over time. However, it did not. This noise escalated over the years 
much to the disappointment of the ladies. From daily newspapers of the time, we get a sense of what transpired on the day in Ballybunion. Ballybunion station was adorned with bunting, awaiting the train, and the carnival atmosphere was in full motion as the train arrived, much to the delight of the few local bar owners who had a great trade that day. Even the local stray dogs and cats got a wash and were decorated with bunting. Reports of the day go on to state, this was Ballybunion's greatest hour. The town could now market itself as a tourist seaside resort of the West. The official party were treated to a walk of the scenic town and Cliffpat Walk. A reception was given in the station house, where speeches were heard from the various dignitaries that were there. After large quantities of wine, sandwiches, pig's crew beans were consumed, the Lartigue monorail then departed for Listole, much to the disappointment of the local bar owners. However, their disappointment would be short-lived when the Lartigue monorail would return again thousands would descend on their public houses. The monorail was late on approaching Listole as an axle overheated. The official party then returned to Killarney where Charles Artigue, speaking in his native French language, complimented the Listole and Ballybunner Railway Company on their exquisite work on the line. The Lartigue Railway came into public use on the 5th of March 1888, according to newspaper clippings of the time. A history of the Lartigue would not be complete but on a mention of one of his favourite sons, and a person who would leave a dynamic mark on the railway and the local history of Ballybunion, that of Mr Pat McCarthy, who was born in Ixnar County Kerry in April 1862. He received his training on the Limerick, Watford and Western Railways. In 1888, he became station master at the Listole, an accountant to the railway company, and in October 1890, he was elevated to the position of general manager. It was with his determination to make the Lartig a profitable line. This he did, and together with the achievement, Ballybunnan emerged as a unique seaside town. It should be noted that for health and safety reasons, Patrick McCarthy walked the line from the stall to Ballybunnan daily to check and also to monitor to see if any bolts were loosened or tracks damaged. Coaches and rolling stock overview. The construction of the famous A-shaped track was unique, when being assembled, the line took a couple of months to construct. The running rail was 27 pounds per yard in 33-foot lengths and was secured to the A-shaped track angle iron at the base by an iron sleeper bolted to a wooden railway sleeper. At various sections, the St Andrew's Cross was inserted to avoid creeping or prohibit track movement. Additional guide rails of 11 pounds per yard, 20-foot lengths, were bolted and later clamped to ends of the angle iron to give the rolling stock and locomotives balance and to prohibit, according to newspaper clippings of the time, the train from falling outwards. All vehicles had double flange wheels to react to the guide rail. This light but strong construction was suitable for the line from the stall to Ballybunion and proved that the monorail could adapt to a change in ground level it could be a riverbank or ravine. Locomotives. Three locomotives were constructed by the manufacturer, Hunslet of Leeds. In October 1887, a test track was built at the company to test the locomotives when they were built. These tests were successful. The three locomotives were fitted with a Lartigue Manet logo on the side, and the colours of the locomotives were green and red. After being tested and passed, 
They were then dismantled and shipped to Listall for assembly there. Rolling stock. Each wagon contained two wheel bogies, which were employed to stabilize a guide rail point and also running above on the upper running rail, which was sheeted from the internal section of the coaches. This was one point which people travelling on the Larty complained about, the loud noise which the wheels made during the journey from Listol to Ballybunion. First, second, third sand wagons and goods vehicles were constructed in Mons, Belgium. The roofs tilted inwards. It should be noted that all coaches and rolling stock were pannier style and access could only be gained from one compartment to another by use of a running stairs on the outside to gain access to the other side. Primitive methods were put into use during a journey if sunlight was beaming into the coaches. A light piece of material was employed to cover the window to dampen excess sunlight. Ballybunna station was by far the biggest station layout, with turntables, sidings, engine repair workshop and other ancillary buildings. The first station house was of corrugated iron construction, but due to the troubled history of the Civil War, Republican forces blew up the station house. Ballybunna station had an additional spur to the sand dunes, then owned by the local landlord George Hewson. There, thousands of tonnes of sand was loaded onto the Lartigue and moved to Listol by five-tonne hoppers. The lime kiln was located just off the first tee, now the sixth tee box, which was used for sand removal. Large turntables were constructed both north and south of the main station buildings. The station house was rebuilt later, in the late 1920s. Liselton had its own station, which also was of corrugated iron in form. Turntables and sidings. At Liselton, many farmers' sons and daughters caught the train to Listol. Therefore, Liselton can claim a unique part of the Lartigue mono railway system. Listol station had the usual ancillary buildings, including a blacksmith's forge, together with a Lartigue terminal. The main line rail was also sited adjacent to the Lartigue station. Flying gates or drawbridges. 17 of the most unique drawbridges were built by the railway company along the permanent way. Their purpose was to allow farmers who owned the land in the vicinity to gain access from either side of the public road. Pictures of the time show a local man with a donkey at the flying gate at McDonald's at Gutnerskehe Ballybunnan, circa 1900s. I will upload that to my social media site shortly. The drawbridges, when lowered, rested on the elevated rail. Either side of the bridge was raised, so an embankment was built, faced with cut stone, to facilitate the bridge, in order that the hinge of the platforms were level with the running rail of the Lartigue monorail. When the flying gates were dropped, a signal arm was raised when the bridge was in operation thus indicating to an oncoming train driver that the gate was active and in use. The gates or flybridges were operated by an endless chain system, which can be clearly seen from the pictures available. Chains were linked to a pulley system, which used large wheels made in Stockton on Tees by Pickering and Company. By pulling on a chain, large weights were moved upwards and in a downwards fashion to rise and lower the gate. Each farmer along the line of the gates was supplied with a key to unlock the gate. But over time, these keys were damaged or lost, and then the gates were opened maliciously. As time progressed, these occupational crossings were highly dangerous 
when the bridge or gate was dropped at night. Sand hoppers and the sandals of Ballybunnen. The Ballybunnen Listowel Railway had another unique feature. 20 sand hopper vehicles were used to transport sand from the sandals in Ballybunnen to the station at Listowel, nine miles distant. The sand hopper or sand wagon was constructed in pannier fashion. A crossbeam of double-sided track was employed to balance the outer extremities of the sand wagon to prevent it from tilting outwards. Each wagon weighed approximately two and a half tons when fiddled by hand. Each day, 200 tons were removed from the sandals in Ballybunion and taken by rail to Listowel Station. Due to the uniqueness of the Ballybunion Station, an additional spur was employed by the railway company. This line or spur ran from the station house in Ballybunion to the sandals in the town. This area was called the Lime Killing and is sited just below the old first hole or modern six hole tea box. Photographs of the period show golfers putting on the third hole as the Lartig drew thousands of tons of sand to list hole. The area was also known as the Railway Gap. It should be noted that the local landlord George Hewson of Innesmore approved of the taking of the sand in hundreds of thousands of tons from the Santos. At that time, the fledgling Ballybunnen Golf Club had just started. The Lartig Railway and the Marconi Radio Station, 1919 to 1924. Immediately preceding the First World War, the Italian-born Guillermo Marconi concentrated his research on wireless telephony transmissions. Guillermo Marconi was born on April 25, 1874, in the Italian town of Bologna. His mother was Irish-born, being the granddaughter of John Jameson. Marconi died in July 1937. In 1919, the Marconi Wireless Company purchased a wireless station owned at that time by Universal Radio Syndicate in Ballybunion. It should be noted that the first Morse code signal that was sent from Ballybunion by the Universal Radio Syndicate Limited was to Newcastle, New Brunswick in Canada between the years of 1914 and 1915. I will cover this connection in another episode. Apparatus for the station was transported by mainline rail to Listowel and then transferred to the Lartig monorail for transportation to the Ballybunnen station. Large sections of bog just outside Listowel near Durra had to be steel sleepered to accommodate both the Lartig and the large steam engine needed to haul the joint apparatus to the station in Ballybunion. Cargo that was on board the Lartig monorail was insulators from the manufacturing company at Doulton in England, together with stair wires and large amounts of timber for the construction within the station. Crossing the Gailey Bridge was an experience for the driver at that period. In 1919, the Ballybunnen Marconi radio station was ready for operation due to the help of the Lartig Railway and its staff. The 2.5 kilowatt transmitter was constructed on the site in Ballybunnen by Captain Henry Joseph Round. Although it only used three valves, it succeeded in transmitting the voice of Marconi engineer W.T. Ditchem to a receiving station in Lewisburg, Cape Breton, Nova Scotia in that year. Ditchem's voice was the first voice to be heard across the Atlantic, first east-to-west voice speech transmission. The annual Pattern Day in Ballybunion on the 15th of August was a yearly event in the calendar for the farming community and visitors alike. 
They converged on the town to celebrate Mass in Dune Church and St. John's Church and to pay a visit to Sunday's Well or Tuberry and Downing, the King of Sunday's Well, which was sited on the Glen Road. It was reputed that a holy salmon lived in the well at the opposite side of the road. But when a local woman washed clothes in the well, resulting in the well moving to the opposite side of the road, pattern days were supposed to be days of reverent prayer. But in Ballybunion, riots and fighting broke out when poutine was consumed in large quantities without control. The Lartig Railway Company provided up trains and down trains for the pattern days as we can see from the timetables that are available from 1911. It was at this time of year that the guards, like the late Paddy Boyle, were on duty to keep a close eye on the pickpockets and pipe snatchers who descended on the vulnerable. On arrival at the Ballybunnan station, passengers embarked to take the fresh sea air, while others took to the lavish surrounds of the Castle Hotel and the railway bar. Hot seaweed bats were the order of the day, and were taken by visitors because of the supposed curative powers. These bats were sighted at Daly's and Collins's on the seafront. Only Collins's remain today. The pattern day concluded for those of a religious nature with a visit to Norma Grass shop on Main Street where she sold religious wear. Fireworks lit the night sky over Ballybunnan as the Lartigue meandered its way back to the station at Listowel. Happy customers and railway staff. Segregation of the beaches the men's and the ladies' strand. A local parish priest imposed segregation between men and ladies while on the beaches in Ballybunion. No man could enter the ladies' portion of the beach. If he did, the parish priest would come down from his crow's view, positioned on the famous Castle Green, overlooking the beaches, and clear the man back to his portion of the strand. This is supposed to be why Ballybunion beaches have the names of the ladies' beach and the men's beach. This practice came to an end when the priest in question stopped a woman in full bathing attire walking on the men's side of the strand. When he questioned her, she bent down and dipped her towel in the seawater and slapped him across the face. Needless to say, segregation was never enforced after that day. These were the usual stories told by the Larty customers about their time in Ballybunion, which was always memorable, and that they regularly returned for the unique atmosphere of the town. Many stories and tales exist about the famous Larty monorail. This is just but a taste. Courting couples and lovers on the Larty monorail, 1913. On the 4th of January, 1913, the famous Larty monorailway was featuring again in the media. Ballybunion was known in 1913 as Romantic Ballybunion, and at that time it took on another meaning to the word romantic. The railway had many attributes, which added to the experience of local travel from the stall to Ballybunion at that time. The carriages had to be balanced to prevent wagons from tipping sideways, so a car was used to counterbalance the load. One other serious factor was encountered in those warm days and balmy evenings to Ballybunion was courting couples and passionate lovers. The passionate activities in the wagons was causing controversy with other customers who were totally disgusted with the carry-on including the locomotive driver, who had to halt the train several times on its way to Ballybunion, took his life in his hands and impressed on the newfound lovers to decouple and refrain until they arrived at the seaside resort nine miles distant. The consistent imbalance of the carriages caused mayhem to the operation of the Lartigue and serious health and safety implications, 
was the result of a few newfound lovers who could have caused a fatality in the long term. The solution was reprimands by the local parish priest or locking the passionate lovers into their wagons until they arrived in Ballybunion safely. Long, warm days on the two golden sandy beaches and sunset evenings were enjoyed by all in Ballybunion, who then returned to the station house to wait the train. Further reprimands were again given by the officials during the boarding of the Lartee on its way to Listol Station. However, halfway to Liselton Station, the same lively occurrence took place. Again the train was stopped, and the warning of disunite was shouted, and do your sorting out at the end of the journey was issued by the driver. The daily up trains and down trains from Ballybunion to Listol had its own history. Some of those old stories are now sadly gone, but others survive. One unique story was that of the approach to Ballybunnan at Gutnaskehe, where the Lartig locomotive would have to navigate an incline. Once over the incline, it was easy to pull the heavy load into Ballybunnan. Tradition relates that young boys living along the line of the track would hear the locomotive approaching the hill. Quickly, they would run to the H-shaped track and rub soap along the top track and guide rails. The old Lartig would climb the hill with his heavy load, only to be met with this obstacle. The Lartig wheels would spin, resulting in the locomotive and wagons returning to the bottom of the hill at rapid pace. Much to the humour and surprise of the passengers, coupled with the anger of the driver. A few choice swear words were uttered. The driver, irate, would jump off the train and run alongside the carriages, shouting, First and second class, get out and walk. Third and fourth class, get out and push. If you liked it or not, you walked or you pushed the train. Clearly, this type of operation was not going to be tolerated by the Ballybunnan and Listowel Railway Company, who set about designing a box mounted at the front of the locomotive with sand in it. Once the driver suspected a potential compromise of the track, a door opened, pulled by a rope from the cab of the locomotive, and dispensed sand along the top track, allowing the LRT to proceed uninterrupted to Ballybunnan Station, much to the disappointment of the youngsters whose prank was now put to an end. Another story, which was reported at that time, was that of a large pig, which was lost or stolen during transit on the Larty monorail as it made its way from Ballybunnan to Listowel in 1914. The pig was well secured at the Ballybunnan station, within a third-class passenger wagon, much to the upset of the passengers in the opposite coach due to the noise of the animal and the smell. During the voyage to Listowel on the Larty, the pig was kidnapped or stolen, as the monorail was on its journey just beyond Lizelton Station, the event unknown to the driver and guards at the time. The Lartig arrived at Listowel Station. There, amongst all the commotion of daily unloading and loading of stock, the missing swine was brought to the attention of the stationmaster. After several exchanges of extreme swear words towards the driver and staff, a full-scale search operation for the pig was undertaken. Floorboards were rooted up and moved, as well as coal, much to the annoyance of the locomotive driver, who on that day was in a foul mood. The resulting inspection yielded no animal, but several bottles of potine which was confiscated, again to the anger of the weary staff. Many days later, with not a swine in sight, the monorail was making its way to Ballybunnan. Just on the outskirts of Liselton, the Lartig slowed to avoid a collision with a donkey. Just as the driver was about to bring the steam back up on the locomotive, the smell of freshly cooked bacon wafted into the cab of the train. 
All activities were halted as the driver alighted quickly from the locomotive and ran in the direction of an old thatched house. Passengers looked on in amazement as the driver sat outside the door of the old cottage with a mug of tea, or possibly putting, in one hand and a large pig's crew bean in the other. After a long conversation with the woman and more cups of tea, the driver concluded his investigations. The old woman related the story to him, that on that eventful day, two masked men with flower bags over their heads rode up alongside the moving Lartigue on donkeys, jumped on board and released the pig into the wild, as she described it as an act of kindness towards humanity. These masked crusaders were never seen again or apprehended. It should be noted from our history, which does have a smell of bacon off it, weeks after the abduction, bacon and cabbage was common in the area. In 1921, the countryside around the town of Ballybunnan was in a state of unrest. The Lartigue was a prime target for anti-government action, and according to the newspaper clippings of the time, the Kerry People, dated July 1921, quote, In September of that year, a masked gunman held up the Lartigue Railway and stole mailbags, en route to Ballybunion. In response, the British military, based in the area, ordered the closure of the line for a short period. Thankfully, this closure was only short-lived, as the countryside became peaceful again, thus the Lartigue continued on its daily journey to the seaside town of Ballybunion. In 1920, the British government relinquished all claims on the railways in Ireland. Resulting from this, and in the face of rising costs of wages and replacement of locomotives and rolling stock, the railways in Ireland found it difficult to carry on at this time. The Settlement of Claims Act of 1921 allowed compensation to the old railways. The allocation for the Lartigue monorail was very little, in around 3,680 approximately. This was only a drop in the ocean for the old monorail because the railway company had to replace many portions of its rolling stock, which was very old, had been damaged during anti-government action on the line. In 1922, following the establishment of a provisional government, plans were put into motion to amalgamate many of the Irish railways into a more developed plan. Thus the Great Southern Railway was born. However, this spelled debt for the Lartigue, as it was not included in the list of railways to be saved. Clearly the government realised that because of the uniqueness of the Lartigue system, most of its rolling stock, together with the locomotives, would have to be replaced. This was not an option. Also about this time, accounts were being examined exhibiting the fact that during the years of 1922 onwards, the transportation of livestock was very little. Only 30 cows, calves and pigs were conveyed from Ballybunnan to the stall. These circumstances, together with the arrival of motor transportation, were hurling the end of the famous Lartigue monorail. Due to the establishment of the Free State Government, Republican forces revolted on the terms of the treaty, agreed in England by Michael Collins and others. Ireland was now plunged into a period of civil unrest. The Lartigue monorail did not escape this epoch as the Free State Government occupied it and used it on a daily basis to monitor movements around the countryside. Therefore, due to its construction, the Lartigue was a prime target along the line from Ballybunnan to Listole. Prior to the war, the area was a mecca for visitors travelling on the Lartigue. The civil unrest now brought a period of economic hardship for the railway company and the town of Ballybunion. The Ballybunion station house was blown up and occupational crossings were opened, allowing locomotive number one to be derailed near John O'Connor's hotel. Other aggressions were the unbolting of the track construction, allowing the locomotive and wagon 
to fall to the ground adjacent to the Ballybunnan Station House. The local barracks were occupied by Republican forces and the Irish tricolour was flown. The Marconi radio station was occupied but was retaken by Free State soldiers. When a period of stability returned, the station house was rebuilt. It is still in existence and was the property of the late Thomas Moore. The Civil War played havoc with the light but sturdy wagons of the Lartee, and these unique wagons could not be repaired like other railway coaches. The Lartee really did not recover from the loss of the rolling stock. First and second class wagons were not replaced. It should also be noted that over the period of the Lartee's life, hundreds of thousands of tons of sand was moved from Ballybunnan to Listowel from the Santos. Thus the locomotives were fairly well burnt out at that stage. In 1924, at a convened meeting of the Ballybunnan Improvements Committee, a resolution was passed in a last-ditched attempt from eminent closure. Other towns in Arcary were silent as the Lartig monorail entered its final days. Ballybunnan put forward the idea of a tramway initially in 1888. Now it was Ballybunnan alone which would try to save a part of its valued history, past and future commerce. From history documents of the period, we read, at a packed meeting in a well-known establishment in Ballybunion in October of 1924, the following resolution was passed, quote, Whilst welcoming the proposed government scheme for the unification of railways, the above body, representing all interests, views with alarm an announcement that the list old Ballybunion Railway is not to be included in the scheme and calls upon the government and TDs for the County of Kerry to safeguard the interests of this popular resort. The importance of the railway is shown by a return of tourist traffic. In normal times, over 70,000 in the year of 1913, over 68,000 for the years of 1914 and 1915, or for three years, over 270,000 visitors used the Lartigue from Listowel to Ballybunion. The maintenance of an improved railway system is indispensable to the farmers, shopkeepers and fishermen of the surrounding districts. And more important is the great advantage of this railway's close connection to the Great Southern and Western Railway at Listowel. To farmers and contractors, who for as far as 40 miles inland have been supplied with sea sand from Ballybunion to an extent of over 150,000 tonnes at very cheap rates. This meeting desires to impress on the government the national importance and necessity of maintaining and improving the existing railway service between Listowel and Ballybunion, and expects that the benefits proposed by unification will be extended to this district and thus promote the development of Ballybunion, where 10 houses have recently been erected and sites acquired for 20 others, to provide accommodation for the increasing numbers of visitors. This historic document was signed by the following Ballybunnan Improvements Committee members. Canon Michael Fuller, Parish Priest, VG Chairman. Joseph Costello, MD. Willem O'Sullivan, Honorary Treasurer. And Willem O'Carroll, Honorary Secretary. Unquote. This is a very important historical document and highlights Ballybunnan's plight and attempts to save the famous Listowel and Ballybunnan Railway. In March of the previous year, a delegation from Ballybunnan went to Dublin to meet with the then minister at the time. But all their efforts fell on deaf ears. In August of 1924, on a busy fine Sunday, 
the Lartigue while transporting passengers suffered complete engine failure near Lizelton, resulting in the passengers having to walk the rest of the journey to Ballybunion. The Lartigue was overstressed and never recovered. The end of the dream had come for the promoters of the Lartigue monorail, and within a few short months, the Lartigue would pass into the pages of history. An application was made on the 7th of October 1924 by the Lartigue general manager and receiver to wind up the company, as all efforts to save the famous Listole and Ballybunham railway had been exhausted. The order was granted on the 14th day of the month. Thomas Wards of Sheffield scrapped the line from Ballybunham to Lizelton and then finally to Listole. All locomotives were reduced to scrap and shipped to England. The Lartigue Monorail Railway System was now lost forever. In the years since the closure of the monorail system, small pieces of this priceless relic have been found from time to time, in bogs, used in old hay sheds, and sadly unidentified. Over the years, I have walked the permanent way along the Listole and Ballybunnan Road. Some of the old double ditches are still there, others built on now. The bridge at Ahafona is still there, and on the outskirts of Listole, Lil Templebourne Graveyard. I have, in my own collection, a top track and guide rail from the Lartigue, remnants of Ballybunnan's glorious railway history. The Lartigue ran out of track, not just because of the emergence of the new Irish state, but due to the fact that after the years of wear and tear from drawing over millions of tons of sand from the Santals, now the famous golf course, had its damaging effect on the Lartigue and its rolling stock. The two Hunstead engines were burnt out from drawing sand continuously and at the beginning daily produce such as butter, agricultural produces from the Ballybunnan dairy owned by the late landlord George Hewson. The transportation of passengers had dropped off dramatically due to the troubled state of the country and from the records only a small quantity of cattle and pigs were transported to Listole. The transportation of the lime and sand mix was coming to an end and the removal of tons of strandstones and seaweed was approaching an end. Due to the arrival of modern fertiliser and transportation of goods by lorry, this was slowly ending the Lartigue days. When the Lartigue closed, it heralded the end of the pioneering days of the famous monorail. No more the sight of its arrival at the station in Ballybunion, the sounds of hundreds of happy visitors on the platform in Ballybunion, planning their day's adventure in the town, beach and sandals. Gone were the sounds of laughter in the locally filthy-capacity guesthouses and bars, where many a couple met and later married, and many a song was sung. The walkers of the Lartigue arriving in Ballybun daily, the wages were now over and at an end. The revenue to the area was lost forever. The retreating landlords now had the area asset-stripped and rectified after years of removing the natural resources, such as timber from the landscape, Sand in thousands of tons, seaweed by the thousands of tons, strandstones from the foreshore for house building by the thousands of tons, limestone mixed with sand ground down for building purposes by the thousands of tons, butter and dairy produce from the dairy in Ballybunnan, coupled with livestock being moved from Ballybunnan to Listole, now at an end. Its giant separator moved to Listole to another dairy. This painted a pretty picture of the landlord era in the Ballybunnan area who left us nothing, not even a pier for fishing. I will deal with the colourful history of our local landlords in another episode. Even at the end, 
the Larty slowly said goodbye to Ballybunion on a daily basis. Section by section, mile by mile, top track and guide rail were stripped by wards of Sheffield as the locomotive made its way out of Ballybunion and finally back to the engine shed in Listowel to be melted down for another project in England. The Larty sadly was never updated with new engines or rolling stock, thus the poor service was had by all towards the end of its glorious days. If money was put back into the monorail, it would have lasted. When the Lartigue went, the resulting decline in tourist numbers could be felt in the seaside resort of Ballybunnan. Access to Ballybunnan at that time was by a bad road, donkey and cart, bicycle, a few lorries and a few cars at the time. This indeed was a sad reflection on all concerned, to leave a famous seaside resort alone and unaided. I will deal again in another episode in relation to Ballybunnan's attempt yet again to open itself up as a tourism resort. One sobering thought though, if the Lartigue continued drawing hundreds of thousands of tons of sand from the Santos, the famous Ballybunnan golf course would not be here today. That's the fact. In the stall a few years ago, an energetic committee rebuilt the Lartigue engine, no diesel, and track layout which is open to all visitors from around the world to experience and enjoy the Lartigue once again. This is well worth a visit on the Wild Atlantic Way. Sadly, the Lartigue will never make its way back to Ballybunnan again. A part of our home, a part of our place, through its people, its heritage and its lost famous monorail. This is truly Danny Houlihan's Irish experience. Thank you.